Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attend you when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. There is a definite aroma of victory in the air this morning, despite the rain teeming down in Westminster. The House of Commons will sit for the first time since the Tory election landslide, where a new Speaker will be elected, and it'll be a lot more pleasant than the last one, who seems to have been reduced to shouting order, uh, order in foreign languages on Italian television. Uh, we'll get a new father of the House uh, as well. Uh, there is much excitement in the ranks because Boris Johnson has vowed to outlaw any delays to Brexit in 2020. The Prime Minister is going to beef up the Brexit bill and legally prohibit, those are his words, extending the transition period beyond December 31st next year. And with the majority the Tories have, it's going to be passed when the bill is presented to Parliament this Friday. Brexit is actually getting done. 03444991000. Coming up, we're going to be finding out how to stop Joe Swinson from elevating herself to the House of Lords after losing her seat in Scotland and stepping down as leader of the Liberal Democrats. The second chamber is already filled to the gunnels with nearly 800 people. Surely it's time to cap the number, isn't it? 0344 499 1000. Later on, uh, we'll be asking what on earth Archbishop Welby was thinking when he said the royal family shouldn't be expected to be saints. Has he heard of Prince Andrew's latest problems? Does he know the difference between not being a saint and actually hanging around with a convicted paedophile? Has the Archbishop gone completely stark, staring bonkers mad? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are, of course, here uh, until the end of the week because Christmas is coming. And uh, turkeys have not voted for Christmas. Turkeys have voted for Brexit. And Brexit, ladies and gentlemen, is actually going to get done because Boris Johnson has now decided, in his front page of the Daily Telegraph this morning, uh, to beef up the Brexit bill in which there will be a clause which says you cannot in any way, shape or form extend 
the uh, uh, transition period beyond December the 31st. And, of course, if anybody does anything at all to mess with that, all it will mean is, is that we will actually leave without a deal at the end of the day. 03444991000. We're going to kick off with something slightly different this morning, though, because yesterday we were getting a little bit sort of, um, shall we say, exercised about the idea of Joe Swinson, who wants to do the whole business of leaving the Houses of Parliament uh, on one door and going back in another door. She lost her seat in Eastern Bartonshire because, frankly, she wasn't a very good leader of the Liberal Democrats. She wasn't a very good constituency MP. And she lost her seat to the SNP, the Scottish National Party. However... The Liberals, of course, have now got the opportunity to elevate a couple of people to the House of Lords, and it turns out that they may wish to elevate Joe Swinson to the House of Lords. Now, how is it possible for somebody to fail and be deselected by the general public, who no longer want her to represent them, but she gets to go and get more public money in the House of Lords? Let's talk to Darren Hughes, Chief Executive of the Electoral Reform Society. Darren, a very good morning to you. Good morning. I find it quite staggering, even though I know this system's been in place for a very long time, that the House of Lords seems to now be worse run than it was when it was purely hereditary peers. Well, it's one of those institutions that uh, you scratch your head every time you hear about it because it just seems to carry on unchecked. And, and I think the only conclusion we as the public can really draw is that the politicians see this as their private members club sitting there on the River Thames, yeah. uh, the place for their industry to go when they retire or are defeated. And, and, uh, and they just think the public will keep on putting up with it. But, but it's really out of control now. Do you know only China has a bigger chamber uh, than, than the United Kingdom? Is that it, right? it's all It's out of all measurement now. It, it's out of control with uh, around 800 people, most of whom are there because of their political connections. And we're all paying, they can claim up to £305 a day in, in allowances tax-free. That, that's money you and I are paying over. Uh, for this private members club. And also, it's it's money that they are allowed to claim regardless of how much work they're doing, because all you've literally got to do is turn up, um, sign a piece of paper, and you can walk out again, can't you? Well, that's right. We, we, we've exposed this over, over, over many years. People who um, show up and, and uh, don't go to any committees, people who don't ask any questions, people who haven't given a speech for years. Right. And, and, of course, the thing is, like anything in life, there are a few people there who are working really hard and, and taking on what the, what the job is meant to be seriously. And, and I do acknowledge that. But unfortunately, for any of the good work that is done by people there, it is overshadowed by those who are, are just really taking it for a ride because they like the title, they like the deference, and they like the fact that, as you say, you can just uh, uh, walk in, sign on, and, and then and then that's it for the day. N not a bad gig. Well, when you say sign on, I think you mean that uh, with, with, with quite a lot of accuracy because it is a little bit like the greatest benefit from, uh, from any uh, sort of, you know, non-job that you could actually get because you're quite right. Of course, there are some people who do their jobs diligently and who are quite important parts of the, of the apparatus, I suppose, of, of democracy. But it seems to me that they haven't put a, a cap on it, have they? I mean, it's, the number keeps growing every year. It just grows and grows, and uh, there's there's two or three times in the year where they do a lot of appointments, and then you often find they'll sneak in one or two here throughout the year, and you've got to keep your eyes, you know, really uh, peeled to make sure you keep up with it. Because don't forget, this is this is the House of Lords, and we've also got the elected House of Commons that we all went out and uh, sent our MPs to last week. So this institution, the House of Lords, helps to write the laws for the UK, but 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 those of us who are on the electoral register have no say over who they are, and, and I think. Uh, you know, if you bring all this back to a pretty basic principle, if you're helping to uh, write the laws of the land, you, you should be chosen by the people who have to live in the country and, and follow those laws. And I, I just think the, uh, uh, the, the the idea that it's all a political stitch-up and not many jobs these days you get given for life, but these are lifetime appointments, not 
five years or 10 years. They, they're there forever. And uh, the only people who really stick up for it are either those who get to lobby it, and so therefore find it quite a, a useful place to uh, have uh, politicians, and of course, people who are either already members of it or who hope to be members of it one day. No. Uh, outside of that, you don't really find much of a cheer squad for, for this for this idea. No, I mean, there's always plenty of models to look at around the world where you could have an elected second chamber. I mean, I think people in this country are fed up to the back teeth, to be honest, of having elections. I'm not sure they'd want to have any more <laughs> elections, but it, it would surely make more sense if it was an elected chamber, wouldn't it? I think so, because you can make it a hell of a lot smaller. There's no there's no earthly reason why it should be 800, 800 people. Mm. And uh, uh, they, they say, oh, well, that's because not everyone shows up. But that, that, to me, that's not an explanation. Well, that's, that's ridiculous. condemnation. That's exactly. ludicrous. I mean, can you imagine running <laughs> imagine a company? Imagine we tried that. Can you imagine running a radio station like that? Right, we're going to hire 2,000 people um, because about 1,500 of them never show up every day. Oh, that's right. Well, one of them will wander in and just do, do some presenting for a couple of hours. I mean, it's just not, 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 not in the real world. So I think... You can make it a huge amount smaller, elected by the public. But then what you could also do is say, right, let's make sure people from all over the UK are in this thing. You know, all four nations of the UK. We know there's a lot of tension at the moment because the four nations are voting in different ways. Yeah. Uh, the regions of England, you know, particularly um, uh, the regions of England that have felt kind of neglected and left left out of the big picture. You, you could actually make sure you had people from all over in every walk of life. But the truth is, most of these people come from London and the southeast, and even if they started life somewhere else, and I know that gives you a, a perspective, they've often long since moved into the London kind yeah. of Well, they also, of do they not also have uh, the ability to claim for uh, sort of second homes and all the rest of it, as they do in the House of Commons? So those daily expenses, which seem to only cover the day-to-day -day business of going to the House of Lords, are then uh, superannuated, if you like, by people saying, oh, well, of course, I had to stay uh, in a hotel or I had to stay in my second home, so therefore I have to get some allowance for that. Oh, there's a whole um, allowances system and regime that's, uh, that, of course, these things are always hard to follow because that's the way they've been designed to make sure you can't quite follow it through. But, but you know, there's no doubt that by having 800, if they were all claiming all the time, then it would be really expensive. And I'm always wary about saying, oh, well, something's expensive because I'd rather have a pricey democracy than a cheap dictatorship, right? Yes. So we've got to be careful that we don't get too silly about it. But 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 there's this is really big sums of money and, and actually, we could do it a, a lot more cheaply, but actually more democratically and more effectively and bring in a wider range of people rather than just the same old faces. Yeah. And in terms of, say, constitutional change to the House of Lords, presumably the House of Lords would have to agree to it under the circumstances of parliamentary democracy, would they? Yes, that's right. But you'd have to have legislation. And, and uh, you know, Tony Blair made the last big change and he, he got rid of a lot of the hereditaries, reduced it down to about 90 mm. and then said, well, look, that's phase one. But of course, he, he then moved on and, and, and the people who came after never really picked up the uh, the challenge of, of completing that reform. And so uh, the last time it was tried by uh, Nick Clegg and the, and the coalition government, uh, then, then it was all held up because members of the Lord said, we'll block it, we'll stop it. And there's a lot of self-interest comes into it. So really what we need is political will from the um, House of Commons. And they'll only do that if they, if they realise the public uh, are fired up about it. So I, I hope your listeners hearing this discussion will think this is not on. No, I think they will think that. And I'm expecting to hear from an awful lot of them. I'll just give the number out while you say that, 0344 499 1000. Because looking at the rundown of who's actually inside the House of Lords, the one thing I've always slightly had a problem with is all the bishops that are in there, 26 bishops who sit in there basically taking care of our kind of laws of the land and our democracy. Well, what's he got to do with them? I'm sorry. 
it, it do, that does feel particularly out of date. And, uh, you know, I, I know some people have very strong uh, religious faith. Other people choose not to. That, that's the great thing about a democracy. It's up to you what you want to believe in. But the idea that there are reserved seats for bishops yeah. of one ch- of and remember, it's only the Church of England. So it's just one church, one denomination mm. of one nation of the UK get to put bishops uh, in there. And it's I think, out, of, you know, it's the, out the, the, of all proportions. It's like something out of the Plantagenets, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's just a, it's a it's a hangover from the past. And mm. look, some of the people who go in there, they say, "Oh well, you know, they're experts, and we can do with their advice." That's fine. But but what you do normally in any normal way of doing things, if you're working on a particular piece of legislation and you know there are experts on it, you invite them in to give you evidence yeah. or to ask, ask them questions. I mean, you, you can actually unlock people's knowledge yes. and experience without and also, the, the palaver. Pres- presumably, because of the way that the, the system works, when a bill goes from the House of Commons to the House of Lords, it goes through committee stage and all of that, I mean, that's when you can draw the experts in, if you wish. And presumably, exactly. they've already had the experts in the House of Commons, and then the House of Lords go and hire a load more and pay them a load yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it's it's not fit for purpose, as they say, mm. and uh, and and it's certainly you know when we think about how disconnected people have felt from politics recently, I think this this one really does stand out. And, yes, um, you know, I, I also think that if we went move to an elected system and, and we were electing them in in kind of teams, as it were, or groups with bigger kind of constituencies, so you might elect eight or nine or whatever in the area you live in, then then if you use proportional representation, you could say, well, I want people from this party and that party. I want this independent person. I want this expert. You could actually really then get people moving beyond the I only vote for this colour party yes. kind of mentality. Well, that's kind of, I mean, I was, was going to ask you, I was going to ask you actually about this election because it's been a fascinating election for many reasons, um, but mostly for the way that the electorate appears to be shifting in the sense of it's no longer maybe voting conservative uh, conservative or Labour uh, for party political tribal means, you know, if it was indeed the Brexit election, which is what we're led to believe, you know, maybe the House of Lords is falsely made up of, you know, uh, Her Majesty's government peers versus Her Majesty's most loyal opposition peers. You know, there's, there's all those things about what, what party affiliations people take. And I think what, what was really interesting at the election, both the one we've just had last week, but also the European parliamentary elections, mm. and then the last couple of generals, which have had these hung parliaments, is, is that you've got a lot of volatility, voters moving around, not sticking with the one party. And so I think these days it's a mistake to look at one election result and say, I can now determine and discern the entire views of the UK based on this one election, because we know that people are moving around so much to different parties that all it's actually really giving you is a snapshot in time. That's why I think it's even more important to have um, effective representation so that when we do have these elections, we, we, we make sure that the people in there are, are, are trying to do their best to bring in as many voices, because sometimes... Uh, governments and parliaments act as though they speak on behalf of everybody. And what the election shows is that lots of people voted for for parties that either got no representation mm. or got very, very small representation. I mean, it took sort of 30,000 votes to elect a Conservative or a Scottish National Party MP. But it was it was it was t- it took. Uh, um, you know, nine hundred thousand votes, eight hundred thousand votes rather, to elect the Green MP. So, yeah. so some parties have to work a lot harder to get representation, even though they've got support out in the country. So, there's another sort of distortion there as well, I think, in the House of Commons. Yeah, and what about the situation with Joe Swinson in particular? Because I would like to see some methodology whereby we could stop people who have lost their seat as an MP because they're no longer popular from actually getting into the House of Lords unless they do something else. You know, it shouldn't be automatic as far as I'm concerned. What possibility is there that Boris Johnson or somebody else could block the nomination of someone for the House of Lords? 
Well, the, the, there is a there is a process in which uh, a blocking can take place, but it's it's hardly ever used, and uh, because of course they, they it's all a self interested kind of yeah, um, yeah. Uh, industry. Uh, but I think the only way of really stopping it is to have wholesale reform so that people are elected there. So that if somebody decides, look, they were an MP, they stopped being an MP, either they were defeated or they were retired. But then if, if voters in an area say, but I think they'd be quite good in the second chamber. They're free to vote for them. But the idea that people just get appointed either because they've been there mm. for decades or they feel a bit sorry for them because they lost their seat, that, that, that really, there's no democratic accountability for that. And, of course, you mentioned um, Jo Swinson, but there's also Nikki Morgan who yeah. uh, retired at the election and said she was getting out of politics and is now staying in the same job in the Cabinet but as a member of the House of Lords. Yeah. That, that leaves you scratching your head. And Zach Goldsmith in London, a similar situation to Jo Swinson, uh, lost his seat uh, but as a friend of the Prime Minister. And so they're saying that he might stay on as, as, as a minister and um, – and go into the House of Lords mm. there as well. So, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. It's absolutely ridiculous. And, I mean, I just I just wish there was some way, uh, mechanism by which we could actually somehow pressurise this government to make a change, because it is time for a change. It's certainly time to cap the numbers, it seems to be. And if nothing else, just say to, to Nicky Morgan and to, uh, to Zach Goldsmith and to Joe Swinson, well, you can't go in unless somebody comes out. You know, make it like a car park. You know, if yeah, there's no more yes. space, literally, <laughs> you have to wait for somebody to come out. Well, that, I mean, they, they, they did at one stage um, suggest that they might do something along those lines. But, of course, uh, then um, uh, then that quietly gets forgotten. And, and one thing I'll say in tribute to Mrs May, when she was Prime Minister, she was actually very restrained in the number of appointments she made. Mm. Most of the others go, you know, hell for leather appointing everyone they've ever met sort of style. Yeah. And um, But she was restrained. And so when her three years... I think it was three years, um, uh, you know, the numbers kind of stabilised a little bit. But I think we're about to see another takeoff now. And uh, and the problem is, is that th th this comes up as a topic from time to time. People are outraged by it. And then the, the, the kind of the caravan moves on and we forget. So I think, you know, when, when people are talking to politicians or being or interviewing them or having a chat, whatever the topic might be, slip in this question. Well, you know, what are you doing about this unrepresentative and costly House of Lords? When, when are you going to get that cleaned up? Yes. Because well, if, if they hear it from people all the time, they might be more likely to stick to their manifesto promise and, 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 and reform it. Well, I was under the impression that Joe Swinson was quite keen on the reform of the House of Lords. And that was before, of course, she lost her seat in the House of Commons. But, I mean, I dare say she's changed her tune now. <laughs> there seems to be a remarkable curiosity of that happening uh, to a lot of people who uh, change their mind once the once the. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I mean, is, is there a, is there a sort of campaign that you guys have got on a website or something people can people can join up to? Yes, so on, on the Electoral Reform Society uh, website, we have uh, information about our House of Lords campaign, and we, we have a petition to try and keep the topic uh, uh, going and to keep people you know, registering their concern about it so that when we do our research and point out some of these problems, we can send that information out and people can then use it um, when they're talking to people about trying to seek this change. It's so overdue, and it would actually be a really simple thing to do. The politicians make it complicated because it's about them. Yes, exactly right. Well, we shall uh, go and find out what that's all about. We'll try and get some calls. We'll try and get, we're going to be talking to Daisy Cooper, funnily enough, one of the newly elected Liberal Democrat MPs uh, for St Albans. So we'll see if we can get her. Because I'm pretty sure Lib Dem policy is meant to be about reform of the House of Lords as well. So we'll check that out and uh, find out precisely what they're going to do about it. Darren Hughes, thank you very much indeed. He's Chief Executive of the Electoral Reform Society. Go and have a look at their uh, petition uh, and their campaign on their website for reform of the House of Lords because it's getting ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, for a start, you've got 20 
26 bishops. You've got the Liberal Democrats with 94 um, peers in the House of Lords. They've only got 12 MPs. They're not a very popular party. Why have they got 94 peers, for heaven's sake? We've got 241 Tories. You've got 181 Labour, 187 crossbenchers, six independents, 48 non-affiliated, one Plaid Cymru, uh, two Green Party, two Ulster Unionist Party, four Democratic Unionist Party. What are all these people doing? Why do we need them? 0344-499-1000. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say that the first MP we've spoken to in this new session of Parliament is going to be Daisy Cooper, who is a new, brand-new MP uh, from St Albans. She won that seat on Thursday night uh, and is one of the 12 Lib Dem MPs in the House of Commons today. Daisy, I know you haven't got an awful lot of time, but welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. What does it feel like to be a brand-new MP going in on sort of day one? It must be quite bewildering at some points. I mean, it's pretty hectic. I made two mistakes already before nine o'clock this morning, <laughs> going to the wrong radio studio and then sitting at the wrong table, would you believe? When I, when I found a cafe tucked behind a closed door, apparently the, uh, the, the members' cafe is segregated so that all the parties have to sit in different places. But I found myself with a, an SNP and applied MP and we decided to throw convention out the window and, and have a cup of tea together. It sounds a bit like the first day at college or something, doesn't it? I mean, it is, it is quite weird. We've just had our, um, our photographs in the chamber, a big group photograph for all the new MPs, and then a photograph for uh, each of the groups of MPs as well. Right. Um, and they've given us a, a, mock, uh, a, a mock run of how a, how a session works uh, in the main chamber, which is incredibly well organised, uh, with a very young person who looked like he was probably in his early 20s pretending to be the speaker. So right. there's a lot of induction that's taking place today. Yes, and when do you find out when you're making your maiden speech? Would, would you be able to do that before the end of this particular sort of term, before Christmas? So it is possible to do a speech um, on Thursday or Friday, but it would be part of... Either on Thursday it'd be part of the Queen's speech debate or on Friday as part of the withdrawal agreement bill. And we have been warned already that if we want to do our maiden speech this week, it would be cut short. So ordinarily a maiden speech apparently you can take up to 10 minutes. But if we do it this week, we'd be lucky, lucky to get four or five. So it is possible, but it's not ideal. Oh, okay. and part, of the problem, part of the problem, I think, with, with the Conservatives rushing the withdrawal agreement bill is that anybody who doesn't manage to make their maiden speech this week won't be able to speak in those debates. Mm. Now, you're one of the few Lib Dem success stories from Thursday night because it wasn't a great election campaign for Jo Swinson. She lost her own seat. Uh, the number of Lib Dem MPs went down, even from the number that were elected in 2017. So, I mean, you're kind of at the vanguard of it all now and you, you've also said that you wouldn't mind being leader. Well, you know, we, we had a really great year. Um, you know, we, um, up until the election, we did really well in the local elections and we did really well in the European Parliament elections, electing 16 MEPs. And those were elections where every single vote mattered. And I think, you know, in this general election, tactical voting for both Remainers and for Brexiters was absolutely key. And I think it's appalling that in this day and age, we have to gain the system in that way. So under a first-past-the-post election, we got squeezed uh, again and uh, unfortunately, as you say, ended up with 11 MPs. But, you know, we, we are used to punching above our weight. You know, we've been leading cross-party action for the last two and a half years, and we'll continue to do that. Yeah, but you've got less kind of uh, wiggle room now, haven't you? Because when you had sort of over 20 MPs, that was quite a sizable number. You've now got 11. There's not a lot you can... There's not many people you can, you can sort of join up with, are there? Oh, absolutely. We're, you know, we can lead cross-party efforts. So, you know, we will work with representatives and MPs of all different parties where our values and our interests overlap 
Um, you know, we, Lib Dems have always been collaborative in that way and we'll continue to do that. Now that it looks as though Brexit is going to happen on January the 31st and the withdrawal bill uh, will be uh, voted through and then the, the transition period begins and then Boris Johnson will, will say that it cannot be extended beyond December 31st of next year. Um, what's the Lib Dems' position on, on the EU? Because your obvious stated position was to, to remain in it. Yeah, well, I mean, Johnson's announcement this morning, I think, is, just shows just how far he has capitulated to Nigel Farage's vision of Brexit. You know, it is utterly, utterly reckless to say that, you know, he's going to prohibit any kind of extension beyond this December. Why? It basically means that, well, because, you know, most people know that we've got, you know, we've got uh, 40 trade agreements that cover uh, trading with 70 different countries. There's absolutely no way you can renegotiate all of those in the next 12 months. It could probably take a, a decade just to deal with the EU. Yeah, but isn't it better to have a deadline? If you don't have a deadline that's, that means anything, you don't, you don't feel like you have to get it done. Absolutely not. You know, I mean, deadlines have their place, but let's be honest about this. This is one of the most significant acts of economic self-harm this country has ever committed on itself. Well, but he's got a massive, um, and, and but he's got a massive mandate from the public to do it, though. He's got, a, he's got a mandate to pursue it, but how he pursues it is up to him. Now, it would be the responsible thing to do would be to take one step at a time, ensure that we have a close relationship with the EU, who are, who are our closest trading partners. The EU has said that that will take years to do to get a good deal. If we pursue a deal that we, um, in the next 11 months, we one of two outcomes. Either the deal won't be worth the paper that it's written on, or if we can't get a deal at all, we'll end up crashing out in 12 months' time. So you just want to continue with the, the dither and delay, as he would describe it? No, we will scrutinise the concerns every step of the way. So we know that they're bringing their withdrawal agreement bill forward again this Friday. We will scrutinise that to see what provisions they put in place. We know already the Conservatives have deleted the commitment to environmental and workers' rights, the only binding part of their commitment. Um, we know that there's a risk of crashing out in the 12 months' time. We know that um, you know, uh, commitments around... It feels like a conversation I was having about six months ago. Well, we it's all changed now. Place. Well, no, we're not. The, the, the Brexit withdrawal agreement has been agreed with Europe. It's a different agreement than the Theresa May agreement. There is now a mandate for, for us to leave the European Union from the voters who voted substantially in favour of Boris Johnson. He's got a big majority. You know, things have changed. Things have moved on. Well, Liberal Democrats' values haven't changed. You know, we are an internationalist party. No. We think we You've got we, a lot fewer want... MPs, though, so not so many people agree with you. Oh, well, you know, our vote share went up in this election. It's just that under first-past-the-post, we ended up with fewer MPs. So let's be honest, there are thousands, if not billions of people, there are billions of people in this country who do share our values, who want us to be an open, tolerant, internationalist society. And Boris Johnson's deal, I think, will not only be bad for our economy, but it will be bad for our social cohesion as well. We've seen the rise of hate crime. People are worried about the future of our NHS. Liberal Democrats will lead uh, the... the yeah, uh, Labour, the Labour Party say their, their policies are very popular as well, even though they got absolutely hoarse. Let me ask you one final question, Daisy. I know you're running. Um, what about the reform of the House of Lords? Because that's always been on the Lib Dem agenda as well, hasn't it? It has. It's always been on our agenda. Yes, we would love to see the House of Lords uh, reformed. And I'm pleased to say that every single Liberal Democrat uh, peer in the House of Lords has always voted to abolish uh, that, uh, that chamber. So why would Jo Swinson want to go up there then? Uh, well, I guess for two reasons. One is because she has an amazing attention to detail, and I think the role of the House of Lords is to scrutinise legislation and improve it. And, uh, I mean, I don't well, know... I thought you just said you wanted to abolish it. Well, for as long as it exists, I would like to see Liberal Democrats present in the House of Lords. But let's be clear, every Liberal Democrat peer has voted to abolish the House of Lords and replace it with an elected chamber, and I'm, I'm absolutely 100% certain 
if they did go into the House of Lords, that she would vote for that as well. Well, you'd definitely get my backing if you abolish it, Daisy. Listen, thanks very much. Welcome to uh, the Independent Republic. You'll be back soon, I hope. And uh, welcome to Westminster as well. Daisy Cooper, uh, Lib Dem MP for St Albans, uh, wants to abolish the House of Lords. So that's bad news for Joe Swinson. I agree with her. We should abolish the House of Lords and replace it with an elected chamber. It's got to be done. Now, let me tell you something else that's coming up later on. Because on Thursday, look out for our new £1,000 text competition, giving you the chance to win £1,000 in time for Christmas. Imagine what you could do with a grand. To be in with a chance of winning the cash, correctly answer the following question and enter into the prize draw. We must receive your entry before 6pm this Thursday. So here's the question. Who is the older of these two celebrity chefs? Is it A, Jamie Oliver, or is it B, Gordon Ramsay? Text the word WIN, W-I-N, followed by your answer either A or B, to 85544. That's 8 Five five four four. Text messages will be charged at one pound fifty plus your standard network rate, uh, and of course you can enter at talkradio.co.uk. Entries must be received before the lines close at six pm this Thursday, December the nineteenth. Terms and conditions and competition rules apply. See talkradio.co.uk for details. And good luck. Let's talk to Paul, uh, who's in Stockfold. Hello, Paul. Good morning, Mike. Morning, sir. Uh, what can what's... I? What can I do for you? Well, fascinating conversation there with Daisy. That's my home city, St Albans. Is it? Wonderful, wonderful city. Beautiful oh, yes. place. Fascinating. Yes. Beautiful city. Is it Verulanium um, in, uh, in Roman? Verulanium, that's, that's right. Yep, I used Verulanium. to go there a lot as a kid, I, remember, I seem to remember. Yeah, my grandfather dug the lake there after the First World really? War. Really? Because they had no work for the folks who came back to the war. That was one of his great civil projects. Okay. Wonderful. Cool. Um, yeah, just to come back on uh, on Daisy's wonderful leader and the possibility of going to the House of Lords. Mm. Now, just a novel idea. When she proposed these hundreds of millions of trees to be planted around the country, which we all agree is a good idea to plant trees around the countryside, and she planted one single tree in Hampstead. Do you remember? Yes. Proposed with the leather boots in Hampstead. I think it was an Asa, a Japanese maple, and she was there, leather boots, red coat. Right. This is wonderful, the photo. Why doesn't she now take up just one promise, just one politician, do a promise, and take on for the next five years, six years, say to Johnson, right, I'm going to carry through on behalf of the Liberal Democrats, I'm going to carry through this promise, I'm going to help run a project to plant these trees right around the country for the next five or six years, I'm going to don some Wellington boots and... And I'm going to go round, run youngsters, and go round with the Forestry Commission for right. the next five to ten years, right. and do something I've promised. Yes. And then I'm quite happy to say, John Swinson, go and sit with your ermine collar with those people because you will know something about maintaining, digging, pruning. Yes. And, and not just and not just knowing something about a photo opportunity, right? Correctamondo. Mm. Correctamondo, sir. Very and good. Just for once, somebody will have in the Lord who knows what they're talking about. Instead of £300 a day to pontificate and false promises, Mike. Yes. Well, only the Lib Dems, to be fair, could come up with a policy to abolish the House of Lords while having 94 people sitting in it who are Lib Dems and having a, and then, a former leader who wishes to join them. But they didn't want... When, when UKIP got 3.8 million votes, they didn't want PR then, did they? No. They were frightened. They said, oh, my goodness, no, we don't want PR then. They want it now. It's all a question of 
it just, it, it, you, well, I don't, you'll start me off again, Mike. But anyway, that's... <laughs> no, that's, listen, I, I appreciate your call, Paul. Thank you very much indeed. Paul, uh, originally from St Albans there, saying, yeah, why don't you do something actually worthwhile rather than going and transitioning, as it were, from uh, the leader of the Lib Dems in the House of Commons to uh, going into the House of Lords uh, as a dame without doing anything in between. I think there should be an automatic period of reflection. I think there should be for those MPs who have either stood down uh, for one reason or another or who have lost at the election, there should be a period of at least a year, maybe two years, where they have to do some kind of public work in order to qualify to go into the House of Lords and to make a rather nice living from the public purse without actually really deserving it. Having been voted out at an election, it means that people don't like you. It means that people don't trust you. They don't want you to represent them. Why should you then represent them in another place, as they like to call it? 0344, a 499, a 1000 is the number. We've got loads more to do. Coming up, we're going to talk to David Wooding uh, from The Sun on Sunday. Not because we're talking politics with him. We're talking opera. Because guess what? There's been a punch-up at the Royal Opera House. This is Talk Radio. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Just imagine the scene. He's sitting there, feeling the uh, the warmth, relaxing, marvelous mellifluous sounds going through your ears, and you look to your right, and there's two blokes having a massive punch up, and you think, am I at Millwall, or is it the Royal Opera House? <laughs> David Wooding joins us from the uh, Sun on Sunday. Mr Wooding, delightful to see you, as ever. Um, but we're not yeah. going to talk politics, political answer. And normally we're talking about Brexit. We're talking about opera, because guess what? The barrister had a fight 
with a fashion designer in. I mean, what is going on? Well, for a start, the music, lovely music just played, which yeah. was the flower duet from Lacme by yes. Delibes, mm. was not on that night. Was it, was, it not? It was Siegfried by Wagner, oh, which see. is full of violence. It There's is about a bit, two yes. murders in that one. Yeah. So, um, but it hadn't even started when this happened. Right. I mean, it just goes to show you that. Um, ungentlemanly conduct can happen not only at the football or the nightclub or the cinema, but in the Royal Opera I mean, Opera I love a bit of barristers behaving badly, I must admit, but this is a very odd story. You spend a lot of time at the opera, which is why I asked you to yeah. come in, because, um, I mean, I haven't been inside the uh, the actual theatre part. I've been to the restaurant relatively recently up on the top, but I, I don't think I've been there since I was a kid. My father took me to see Carmen uh, when I was very young, when you could still stand at the top, yes, and it was yeah. quite cheap because we didn't have loads of money. Um, but then you could sort of look down. And I'm not a massive fan of opera, I have to say, because I think it goes on too long for me. But, but in, I mean, it must have been quite a shocking scene inside of this very, you know, well-upholstered sort of theatre. Yeah, now, I've, never, I've been to the Royal Opera many times and the English National Opera, and I've never witnessed anything like that. But I have seen stuff like that at the Royal Albert Hall at the proms. Really? Where people have got... Usually it's about people talking during the music right. and you tend to get that in the proms because people go there for the first time yes. and don't realise the etiquette of right. keeping your trap shut right. from the beginning of the music till or, the end or, of the music. Or looking at your yes. phone or yeah, something. Or whatever, that sort of thing, yeah. And I've seen... And it normally over... over it normally gets out of hand when somebody, instead of asking them politely to stop, mm. they, they, they let it fester and it goes on and on yes. and on and eventually they snap. And there is something the about, use, yeah. and I, I don't wish to bring class into this, but there is something about kind of slightly upper-middle-class types getting angry because I've seen it in, in several situations, not at the opera, but you see it sometimes just in, um, in you know, everyday scenarios on the tube or just mm. on a bus or something like that. And they've got, they, you're right, they let it kind of fester and in this case, this was a guy, um, somebody by the name of, where is he, Matthew Feargreave, lost his temper with Ulrich Engler, who had sat down next to his partner. Apparently this guy had had a, a, more, a cheaper seat at the back yeah. and had somehow clambered down to sit in what he saw was an empty seat. Well, I know that section of the garden quite well. Yeah. Um, the, the front of the, uh, the circle stalls... Uh, you pay quite a bit more for, but at the back there's like bench seats which are a bit harder on the bum right. uh, and are substantially cheaper. Mm. And what some people clearly do, and that's what this gentleman was doing, he sees as the opera is about to start uh, an empty seat right. in, in a better position. And is that, and I mean, is the etiquette that you could do that well, or not really? I mean, you know. If you're in there and you pay, maybe it's a ruse to buy a cheaper seat and then move forward. That yeah. Some people use. I wouldn't do that, but then if there's an empty seat sitting there, then somebody goes and sits in it, I wouldn't object to it. Now, what seems to the objection here seems to have been that his wife's... It was used for, to keep his wife's uh, coat on. And he, <laughs> he objects to the way he took the coat off and dumped right. it on her lap and then it fell off. But honestly, you know, why don't people just talk to each other? And if you want to go and sit in that seat, go before the music starts. Because yeah. once the music starts, it's very difficult. Imagine the other people. It's them I feel sorry for. Yeah, well, there used to be a, a, a rule, didn't there, that if, I presume there still is, if, if, the, if, it's, if the, the performance has begun and you're late, you can't get in until the next time no, there's the door, a break. the door's closed and that's right. it. I mean, uh, in an opera like, like a Wagner opera, mm. where they, they, there's... there's I've been to see Siegfried several times. It starts about four o'clock in the afternoon and right. finishes about half past ten at night. I mean, that's the reason yeah, I can't yeah. do the operas. That, they, they, they are long, long operas. They are long. You have to be an aficionado yes. to go to Wagner. You don't don't go to Wagner for the for your first opera. Yeah. Go to hear a bit of uh, Puccini or something right. like that. I mean, I went uh, once to um, the Bolshoi Ballet when it came to New York. Uh, and it was me and my then wife and my sister and her then husband, who's a guy that you might remember called Alan Hall. And um, mm. uh, we got to half time, and I just said to Alan, I said, I can't do this. This is no, we just we hopped off at half time to the pub and they <laughs> stayed for the second half. Because the thing I couldn't stand was there was this kind of noise of, of feet 
on the stage and it wasn't loud enough. And I thought, well, surely the music should drown out the feet. And it didn't. And mm. I'm sure it was very beautifully produced, but I just couldn't get into it somehow. Mm. Well, I mean, the, the key is to do your homework before you go. Yeah. My advice, if you ever want to go, is to listen to the music yes. several times before you go, understand the plot, because right. sometimes the plots are quite convoluted. The plots are more convoluted than this assault business, you know. <laughs> he kills him because of that. Wagner is full of drama and violence. Mm. Right. Uh, but I would start with a Puccini or a Verdi or a Mozart okay. and go and see one of the popular operas and then do your homework before you go. It's great fun. It yeah, I mean, a lot fun. of people, I suppose, fun. would say they love the three tenors and they like the idea of a kind of greatest hits style opera, yeah. but that's not for the purest. But there's no, right? act, there's no acting. You see, the, the opera at its best is the fusion of the theatre mm. and the music, so you right. get the music and you get the drama and the right. theatre and the sets. And how did and you stages. get into it? Have you always uh, been well, into I, opera? No, I, was into, I wasn't into opera particularly. I was into classical music because I learned the piano from the age of four. Right. Uh, and I, I was playing in, in little... Um, dance bands and things like that when I was a teenager. I could read music and everything. But um, I had a music teacher who uh, at school used to play music going in and out of, uh, of a morning assembly. Okay. And I, my mind was listening to the harmonies and the melodies right. and I realised I obviously had an aptitude for it. And then he used to invite kids back to his house on a Saturday morning to listen to classical music yeah. once a month. Right. And then he started taking us to the Royal Liverpool Philharmonic Orchestra oh, nice. and, and, and we uh, uh, then you, you develop it from there. And as I got older, I, I was really into pure music. As I yeah. got older, I started trying the opera right. as well. So I do go to the opera as okay. well. So and is it an expensive endeavour? No, I went to see uh, the other week Death in Venice by Benjamin Britten for yeah. nine quid at the Royal Opera. Wow. Now, they weren't the best seats, I have to say. They were right at the top, the only ones I could get. That is very good, And though. strangely enough, somebody uh, nudged me and asked me to uh, to sit back. Uh, I hadn't sat in those really cheap right. seats before and I was leaning over uh -huh. and, the, and after about uh, half half an hour, a lady tapped me on the, sh on the, on the arm and said... Would you mind stepping back a little bit so I can see? Really? And I just held my hands up. Yes, right. and I moved back a bit because I didn't realise I was blocking Lucky her didn't view. Turn into it a, so but a it just shows, it. Fight. and that's all it takes. I, I once asked a guy, strangely enough, who was sitting in in front of me uh, on the circle, mm. um, who was leaning forward on on the on the the, the ledge in the front, right. uh, and he was blocking the stage the, the stage out. And, and and at the interval, I just said. Sorry to trouble you. Would you mind sitting back so right. I, I get a view? And he said, "Sorry, fine." Yeah. And if both people are polite about and it, you do, there's no need to well, have a fight. Well, it's a bit like those yeah. ridiculous arguments you get on planes, where people don't want you to put the seat back, or when uh, you put the seat yeah. back, they they try and make sure that you push it forward, or you know, it's all. all but the, the funny thing about this particular punch-up is that the wrong guy um, got arrested because apparently the police thought that the victim That's right. was the guy who had started the fight, and he spent a night in the cells, and then <laughs> I, it turned out it wasn't his fault. I'll tell you what, the biggest punishment, whatever they give him on January the 22nd, or whatever yeah. it is, he comes back to court, the biggest punishment was the fact that he will have missed Gotterdammerung, the <laughs> final opera in, the, in the, the four opera cycle of Wagner's Ring. That is the most dramatic, wonderful opera ever. And if you're a Wagner aficionado and you've been to see uh, Das Rheingold, uh, the Valkyrie, and then Siegfried, to miss out on Gotterdammerung is a massive punishment. That guy will be totally He gutted. will be. You don't need to give him any more punishment. And I mean, as a barrister, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I mean, he's been found guilty of assault, he's on unconditional bail, unlikely to go to prison, but the bar uh, council won't be too happy with him. No, no, they? of course, no, he'll, he'll, he'll suffer for that one. I mean, he may well, um, he may well have, I don't suppose he'd be disbarred, but I mean, he could be, I suppose, yeah, if you commit no, a criminal offence. It's, uh, it's not great. Well, listen, great to see you. Always Thank pleasure. you very much indeed. Merry Christmas to you uh, and Merry your Christmas listeners. to you, and I'm sure we'll talk before Brexit Absolutely. happens on January the 31st, and when we're out of Europe and all of that. Uh, we may be back in the tent towards the end of this week, we're not really sure well, yet. Uh, Dave, 40 shots. 
shopping days to Brexit. Something like that. Yeah. Have you got anything you want to sell us for Sunday, by the way? Um, well, we're, we're in the market. too early? Yeah, all, all you, all you uh, <laughs> sources out there, give me a call anytime. I'm always <laughs> glad to hear from you. David Woody, political editor of The Sun on Sunday. This is Talk Radio. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. As the winter winds litter London with lonely hearts Oh, the warmth in your eyes swept me into your arms Was it love or fear of the cold that led us through the night forever? Now, this is the time of year when everyone's out doing their Christmas shopping. Although, I have to say, when I left the office yesterday and I got on a train uh, to go to a part of North London, I've never seen such a quiet um, underground. I don't know what was going on, but there was no, I literally got on the escalator. There was nobody on it. Got on a train, there was nobody on it. Got on another train, there was nobody on that. It was really quite bizarre. But, normally speaking, London is absolutely rammed because it is Christmas. People are buying all sorts of things. I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Helen Knappman, Digital Deputy Consumer Editor at The Sun. Helen, very good uh, very good morning to you still, isn't it? <laughs> good morning. Um, Christmas shopping, is it all done and dusted? Have oh, you done it all? I wish, I wish. I've got to rush out after work tonight and get the last bits. Oh, right, OK. Where do you go to do that? In any particular part of London? or A variety of different places, right. depending on... I mean, obviously, I work on the consumer team. I like to bag a bargain. Yes. So I look up prices before I go... Um, and I've done some bits online as well, so making sure I get a good deal. Well, that's good, because you don't want to be sort of paralysed because you go, I might be able to get this cheaper somewhere else, so I'm just never going to buy it, you know. But uh, we've got a witch report out today, uh, which has got the top, top 10 products of 2019. So we thought you were the perfect person uh, to talk us through what they all were. And, and I don't know whether you've actually ever seen any of these particular products or bought any of them. Um, but the top 10 products start with a fridge freezer for a thousand, nearly a £1,000, going through a smartphone for real me, which I've never heard of, an iPad Pro, uh, AirPods, which everybody wants, right, and lots of people now have, a leak-proof travel cup, Amazon Kindle, Sony headphones, an IKEA mattress, believe it or not, for 99 quid, which sounds good, um, a Sony Bluetooth speaker, and finally an electric car. Yeah, it's a very interesting list, and I... I was most interested by the number one, which was the electric yeah. car. I think it kind of shows the way the world is perhaps moving and mm. perhaps where we're moving in terms of the vehicles that we use and trying to think more sustainably. But I would say it comes with a very hefty price tag. So it starts from £35,000. Well, this is one of the problems, isn't it, that people say it's all very well buying an electric car. But, I mean, that's not actually the most expensive one because the Teslas are sort of up in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, and it's all very well telling people to be green. But not everybody could afford thirty. Five grand for a car. Yeah, exactly. So I think what Witch is saying is it kind of acknowledges that actually this is a good deal compared to the Teslas, but it's still an expensive deal. Mm. However, if you are going to buy an electric car, what they're saying is that the miles you get under this car are actually very good comparatively. Mm. So I think it was saying it, it you can do 233 miles on a full charge, yeah. whereas other cars that are similar, you get 124 miles. And that's going to improve, isn't it, as time goes on? They're going to get more efficient, you're going to be able to charge them quicker because that's another thing that people say. You see some of these hybrid cars or some of these plug-in... I was sitting behind a plug-in car, is actually what it was called. I was like, what a terrible name for a car. It was like Suzuki plug-in or something like that. Um, and you see them plugged in on the street and you think, well, how long does it take to charge it? You know, and, and it's some, in some cases it takes all night. 
Yeah, exactly. I think what a lot of people with these cars do is, like you say, charge them overnight. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not very common still, is it? But I think as time goes on, it's going to become easier. And hopefully that also means the prices will come down they, because they, there'll yeah. be more competition, they'll be more accessible, and the other options will sort of start slowly dying yeah. out. No, I'm quite surprised Amazon Kindle's on here because I read a story a couple of weeks ago, I think, where it was said that audiobooks are now the thing. And audio, people, much more uh, audiobook sales are going on now rather than Kindle sales and actual book sales. So I would have thought that was kind of a thing of the past. You don't see that many people on the tube with them anymore. Yeah, I was really surprised by the Kindle as well. Also because I feel like people are turning to tablets mm. where you can do your online shopping, you can watch movies and you can read your yeah. book. Whereas this is just the old-fashioned Kindle. Right. Um, and, and all it does is produce typed uh, pages that you read, right? Yeah, exactly. And what um, Witch is saying is quite interesting, though, is that Amazon uh, has updated its Kindle. And this one you can now read in the dark, so it's got a little light, okay. so the screen lights up, which is quite good because the old-style versions didn't have that. Right. Um, so you also have a light on, in other words. Yeah, exactly. I saw somebody on the train this morning with a really, what looked like a tiny Kindle, which was, uh, you know, because they're sort of iPad size, aren't they, generally speaking? This was about half that size. And I was thinking, what's the point of that? Because there were so few words on the page that you'd be literally turning it like every second. Yeah, I haven't seen that, so I don't know I about that I don't know what it was. One. <laughs> it was like pocket Kindles. I mean, what about the IKEA mattress is vaguely fascinating as well. Yeah, very interesting. And I have to say I'm quite pleased because I bought an IKEA mattress. Did you buy this one, Malfour's? I, I can't remember the name of it, but I did buy it for my spare room and it was a good price. Right. And I've had no complaints from any guests. Okay. So, um, I mean, hopefully it's a good deal. And like you said, it starts from £99 for a double, which is... That's really cheap. Because, really I mean, I've, I've seen mattresses costing £5,000. I mean, I don't know who would spend that on a mattress, but I bet it's nice. But, I'm, you know, if you stay at a very, very expensive five-star hotel, maybe those are the kind of mattresses they have. But, I mean, you know, for, for somebody who, who is looking for a, a decent new mattress, because you're meant to replace them, I think, every seven years or something like that, um, that's a good place to start. Yeah, definitely. And which is quite rigorous in its testing as well. And it's saying that um, sort of on, on every different aspect that it tested on, it, it, it fared pretty well. Yeah. So, yeah, it could be a good option. And interesting that they've got iPads and AirPods, but no actual iPhone. Instead, their phone is much cheaper. A real Me 3 Pro smartphone, 165 quid. I'm not familiar with them. I have to say, I had never heard of them either. Right. Um, and when I was reading the report, even which admitted, you know, we've never really come across this before but right. again when it came to their testing it performed quite well and if you have a look at it it looks very similar to an iphone yeah um so if you're if you don't really care about the brand then again this is like looking at the savings you can make for something that does very similar well i things. got a new iphone and it's a contract thing so i didn't pay for it outright but it's like 1400 pounds or something if you buy it. it's ridiculous when you think about it i mean i try not to think about it because you can go why are you pay that kind of money for a phone but it does everything yeah, yeah, they are expensive, but I guess the idea is, well, you're paying for the brand, but also they last, their products, you know, tend to do quite well. I noticed that um, not in the top 10, but elsewhere in the top 50, there was an Apple Watch as mm. well. So Apple has done pretty well in this test. Yeah, Sony have as well. They've got two things, the Bluetooth speaker, which I guess everybody must have a Bluetooth speaker now uh, for the swimming pool in the summer, um, and uh, uh, over-ear headphones. I presume that means headphones like the ones I'm wearing. <laughs> Are they yes. now called over-ear headphones as opposed to just headphones? 
I don't know. I, su- I suppose that's a way to differentiate between them. They're the sort of the big, chunky ones. They're the ones yeah. footballers wear, basically, aren't they? Yeah, with the sort of the leather pads around your ear. Right. I guess they're comfortable. Um, and they've got a... They're quite stylish these days. Because people don't like to stick the, the, the pods in their ear, do they? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, they're quite trendy and quite fashionable. They're quite expensive, though. So those ones were £249. Right. Um, so, I mean, you've, you've, you've really got to want something like that to buy it because it's not really You've got essential. to probably listen to a lot of music as well, which I don't tend to do. I mean, I spend, because I spend three hours a day with headphones on, I don't really want to spend any more time with headphones on listening to anything. Um, having said that uh, people getting these uh, Bluetooth speakers for the summer and the swimming pool, it's splash resistant, this Sony <laughs> one, so I wasn't wrong Perfect. about that. Um, but, but I mean, actually, we've got one uh, which I don't think is a Sony, uh, but you sit out in the garden and you put it on and it's great, you know, because rather than actually blasting your, your stereo out to, and annoying the neighbours, you just listen to the, something which is a bit more, you know, a bit less invasive, I suppose. Yeah, and what's good about this one as well is that it's only 20 quid, so it's actually quite good if you're looking for last-minute stocking fillers as yeah. well, things like that. Now, the leaf, uh, leaf, leaf, leak-proof travel cup, I could do this because we have these ridiculous cups uh, which we drink water out of and tea, which leak all the time. And the number of times I've stopped drinking tea out of it because it used to just spill on my shirt uh, and I'd have to go home looking like a toddler has spilt tea on himself. Yeah, not know. good. <laughs> so maybe I should get one of these leak-proof uh, travel cups. Also, these are supposedly more kind of um, friendly to the environment, yeah. right? You're not throwing coffee cups away. Yeah, exactly. And this one that Witch has picked is actually made from recycled paper cups as well. Oh, is it? Yeah. Right. So if you're if you're looking for... What they're saying is that a lot of these reusable cups, while they're great because they're reusable, they still have thin layers of plastic on them. Right. Um, so when you do come to eventually throw it away or it breaks, then you know, there's still plastic going back into the system. Right. Whereas these ones are made from paper um, and they are reusable as well. It's so. also a great virtue signalling device, isn't it? Because you can walk around and go, look at me, I've got a, I've got a permanent, you know, non-disposable cup that I use all the time and I give it to people in coffee shops and it makes me feel really good. I mean, you can feel very smug about yourself, but also you can get discounts in lots of coffee shops if you bring your own mug. So from a money perspective, it's, it's good for that as yeah. well. And the fridge freezer, I guess, speaks for itself. It's an LG. Um, I mean, it's funny, isn't it, how everybody's now got a much better fridge. I mean, when I was growing up, I, you know, my parents just had a small fridge that sat sort of underneath the counter and it wasn't... It didn't... I don't think it had a tiny freezer box, but it didn't really... I mean, everybody's now got a massive fridge, massive amounts of food in it, big freezer compartments so they can put loads of stuff in it. I don't know when that changed. Yeah, I, I know. Kind of American. It. Yeah, in the last few years, I got a new freezer and it was one that you don't have to de-ice. And I wow. was like, this is revolutionary. Yeah. Who knew? My sister in America has got one that produces ice, produces water... Um, you know, it's got. A, I think it's got a juicer inside that you can make juice with if you wish to, and make that come out the water. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. It's got that lights. Come, you open it, makes noises. You know, I think it's a smart fridge or something. Well, they're talking about new ones. I don't know if they're out yet. Where. Um you can actually connect it to your phone and it will tell you what food is in your fridge. So you can do, you you know, when you're at work, you can check, oh, I've got this in my fridge. Mm. And then you know what you need to buy on the way home for your shopping. Or you could just look in the fridge before you leave the house. (laughs) I mean, you could do that. You could do that. I mean, this is the thing. And people go, oh, I know. Why don't you like, um, you know, switch the the heating on um, in the house on your way home? Now, I can sort of see why you'd want to do that, but really, do we really need to do that? Can't you just, like, arrive at home and when the heating (laughs) kicks in, which is straight away... 
you can take your jumper off. Well, some people have heating that takes a while to come on and their homes might take a few hours to get warm. So you're sitting there shivering on the sofa. But if you're in that kind of house, maybe sell the house, get a better house, and then instead of worrying about all these devices (laughs) that could control the home, you know? But uh, what about your own choices? Have you got a a, a sort of favourite product of the year? Because you guys are looking at products all the time. Yeah, I was thinking about this, actually. I was thinking, what would I want in this list? And I can think the only gadget that I've bought this year is, I have to say, I've bought an iPhone as well, which I probably shouldn't admit to. Um, But on a slightly cheaper note, the gadget that I love is my Fitbit. Okay. Um, So I find that's really great for tracking, Mm. you know, what what you're actually doing, how far you're running, how far you're walking. And and then not that expensive as they're well. actually quite cheap fitbits aren't they because i think i bought one for my uh, one of my sons the other uh, last year but they've all got so many gadgets now there's literally nothing they need unless i want to get them a fridge freezer you know <laughs> they wouldn't thank me for a kindle yeah i can't see that going down well no i mean stock the fridge full of food they like that but they don't actually want a proper fridge well listen thank you very much indeed helen natman digital con- deputy consumer editor at the sun uh you keep looking at their uh, website and you'll find i'm sure all sorts of christmas suggestions as well have you got um, stuff like that on there yeah plenty of stuff so we've got lots of pre-christmas sales going on at the moment all the food that you can buy in the supermarkets has all been discounted so plenty going on okay tremendous well helen thank you very much nice to see you have a nice christmas if i don't see you before across the uk online and on dab the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio if you enjoyed that be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1 monday to friday on talk radio via dab online or via the talk radio app and if you have an opinion on the stories we cover we'd love to hear from you call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at talk radio during the show to have your say the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.